0: World Soccer Talk Podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 131, we discuss whether the US women winning the World Cup will change anything with NWSL equal pay and TV rights. Soccer on US TV breaks a new record. NBC drops a bombshell with their changes to NBC Sports Gold. Plus letters from you, listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris. And I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnair. Now, Kartik, um, th- let's dive right into the main topic, which, of course, is the uh, U.S. women and the um, U.S. women's team winning the Women's World Cup, which was a, I mean, a really convincing performance. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in this one, in terms of, uh, especially in the second half, uh, once that first goal went in, the penalty kick, uh, that Netherlands... They seemed to be com- almost completely out of the game. It seemed to be almost too easy for the United States women's national team. I mean, they are a good team by by no doubt, but towards the end of that game, they must have had about five or six clear one-on-one chances to. I mean, just to. Uh, I mean, get the-, the score up to two-nil, three-nil, four-nil, five-nil, and um, it it didn't happen. I think mean, it was just. Uh, you mean when they should have shot, they didn't shot, and when they dribbled, you know, it- so on and so forth, but. The game itself I, 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 I was enjoyable, but it felt a little bit almost too easy. What, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I felt like, um, and, and I had this conversation uh, after the Miami FC game with one of uh, uh, the st- staffers for Miami FC last night, which was, um, why is it that every side uh, that played really good football during the tournament then played the U.S. and they didn't play the same way? Yeah. Uh, France, England and uh, the Netherlands. Only Spain really gave mm-hmm. – um, uh, Spain really gave the U.S. everything they could They could handle. Looking back, the U.S. very easily could have been eliminated in that round of 16 tie. But after that, I think France was done. I thought I, – and I got into a lot of trouble on Twitter for – Basically, right after the walkout, St. Francis done, even at 0-0, because you could see it in their eyes. You could see it in the the, tentative, uh, the tentativeness of how they were playing. Um, the England game, you could always debate Phil Neville's squad selections, uh, Stokes over Greenwood, uh, not having Fran Kirby, uh, not having Stanaway. But still, it just never felt like until England absolutely had to attack uh, all, uh, all guns blazing that they that they got control of that match. And then the Netherlands, who had been this really good possession-oriented team uh, with three really, really good attacking players with uh, maybe the best midfielder in the tournament to that point, I think got, got eclipsed by Rose Lavelle uh, in the final, uh, didn't do any of that in the in, in the final, except for between minutes 40 and 45. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe five minutes of really good Dutch play after seeing uh, generally 50 to 60 minutes in each match to that point. Uh, other than, again, maybe the round of 16 match against Japan. So the question, Chris, was, was the U.S. that good that they took everybody out of their game or was everybody psychologically uh, scared of the United States and didn't play their game and the managers fell into a trap with that, being uh, over, over-tactical over or over uh, overly negative uh, when facing the United States? Because the Dutch... Uh, Set up in a couple of banks of four, or actually maybe even a uh, four and a five, and, and just left one forward, for, uh, forward, and uh, um, and quite frankly, uh, did not uh, did not try and attack until the fortieth minute.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm I I think it was the latter. It, it just seemed to be the, there was so much sense of belief and so much confidence that exuding from this U.S. Uh, women's national team from from the first game all the way through to each round. That I think it psyched out the opposition. Out of all the the matches I watched um, that the U.S. women's national team played against, the the team that I was disappointed with the most was England because I thought England was the one team that, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, skill, capability-wise, could beat this U.S. team. And I was hoping that the U.S. would win the the game, but still, yeah. I thought that it would be a really, really close uh, fight. And and that penalty miss, I mean, psychologically. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that could have turned the game. I mean, it could have right, been 2-2, two, right. two, and then it could you, have been All-England.
1: All let, let me ask you this, because I think... Um there was a lot of uh, uh, you know rally around the flag in the English media uh, during a tournament. So uh, there was just a lot of lamenting. Oh, we we were so close, etc. After that match, then within a day or two, the narrative turned. Um, particularly when I listened to the Guardian podcast and Jonathan Wilson really kind of break down squad selection. Um, obviously, he's the tactical maestro. About maybe Phil Neville was really naive. Maybe he just um, you know. Outthunk himself and um the squad selection was terrible for the u.s game and um then the flip side was uh, and, and wilson had argued that the u.s well in control of the match absolutely dominant in the first half uh really could have put england to the sword 2-1 was the score it could have been you know 4-5-1 uh basically then invited pressure after that um which is possibly true, but then they didn't do it in the Dutch game. And I mentioned I thought Gronin was the best midfielder in the tournament prior to uh, uh, the final. Uh, obviously, with with Martins Medema uh, and Berenstain up front, you had uh, the best forward trio uh, in in the women's game or at the international level. And they did nothing against the U.S. They Other than minutes 40 to 45, Chris, I don't – it doesn't even seem like they were in the game, right? They were just a long – it was inevitable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though the penalty was a little bit – it wasn't suspect in the sense that it was the wrong call. It was the right call, but it was one of those calls that may not have been made without VAR. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just felt like inevitably the U.S. would score and it would be over.
0: Yeah, and I think the Dutch had one good chance in that first half, which was, I think, um, Naylor came out, out of a box and cleared the yeah. ball. But that was it. It was kind of one person up top hoping to chase onto balls. Um, and, and eventually that, that tactic could have worked if they hadn't had the penalty and they kept it nil-nil and there's five minutes to go in the game. And we know the Dutch are very good in terms of uh, late showings in games, scoring goals. But But the one thing going... Uh, look, looking at this tournament, uh, which I enjoyed thoroughly, was um, I think Jill Ellis did a fantastic job uh, really outsmarting the other coaches. And that, I think in many ways that game against Sweden, the game that was the, the last, essentially a dead rubber game, the last game in the first group in terms of uh, figuring out who finished in first and second, and the U.S. went all in against uh, a lot of people's opinions uh, to do that. Psychologically, that had a, seemed to have a, a, a huge effect over the opposition in, in the, the next few rounds, where they did get psyched out, except for Spain. And S- Spain, if they kept on playing the game, rather than to resort to those dirty tactics, I think they could have at least maybe eked out a win or got, got even closer. But in, t- in terms of the actual television coverage of the Women's World Cup, um, the final itself... Um. Oh
1: God. I, this, yeah, I don't know where to start. Yeah,
0: I mean, I mean, so so I, I had a, I forced myself to to watch the pregame match, uh, from minute one to all the way to, from ten a.m. to eleven a.m. Eastern time, and I forced myself to do it because I, I wanted to immerse myself in what was happening, and, and just from uh, observing and just analyzing and hopefully enjoying it, um, but. If you had to guess from this 1-hour pregame show that was on Fox, how many minutes of analysis they gave to the players. So the players on the both of the teams talking uh, talking about the you mean the analysis about, about a pre a pre-match coverage for a game should be, you mean, showing you the team lineups, talking about the tactical matchups, sh- talking about some of the things you should be looking forward to in this game. And and yeah, some some feature pieces, etc. Talking about, you mean how great the U.S. women are, and some interesting stories, etc. But out of that one hour, how many minutes do you think they they focused on the actual tactical analysis of these two teams?
1: So I didn't, um, I, I didn't stay with the out uh, until uh i, I mean I, I watched it for the first 10 minutes and then switched to the public affairs programming the political programming on other networks uh until the kickoff because it was so terrible i'm gonna say two minutes chris wow. uh based on when the lineups came out
0: well okay so so this and this is an important note so uh in terms of the team lineups i, I didn't i didn't actually include that with team analysis so so to me, that's oh. more okay. Here's we're reading off now. Okay, here's who's starting on the U.S. squad. Here's who's starting on the Dutch squad. And they go through this so quickly that there's really, really little analysis if any on this team lineup. So outside of the team lineup lineups, how, how much, how many minutes do you think they focused on just tactical? Um, I say zero. Well, it was it was three minutes and ten seconds. Okay. Out of a, okay. out of a, out of a sixty minute program, and and that's the thing though too. I mean, we we talked about this in last week's podcast too. Is that uh, most of the time that they, as the tournament went went on, most of the time that they had to focus pre-game, most of it was focused on feature pieces. So it was essentially fluff pieces. It, they had a few minutes about the American Outlaws, which I thought they would talk to the American Outlaws, but it was just them hanging out with the crowd and in the background you hear the the the, the, the U.S. fans cheering USA and things like that. Nothing wrong with that, but it was it was a it was essentially a one-hour cheerleading session, and uh, with nothing—nothing nothing for the the hardcore fan at all. Which I'm not surprised, Kartik that you didn't watch it. But I had a focus to myself through it, and uh, I mean, it was meant for the mainstream audience. And a little bit later, we'll get into the TV ratings. Um, the mainstream audience watched it, um, but I wonder how many of them were turned away, like you were, Kartik. Uh, who wanted something a little bit more, and we're not getting it in the final, and we're not got getting it in a lot of the other broadcasts. But um, how, how about about ESPN? Did you get a chance to watch it uh, Sunday or Monday to see how much yeah, analysis? Yeah,
1: so their their tournament analysis was, was fantastic, and and continued that way uh, after the tournament. And and the thing with ESPN was that they they got really tactical and analytical, and they had they had the time to do so. Um, and again, I think we realize that the people that were paying attention to ESPN FC were just hardcore nerdy people. But um, I, I complained a week ago or, or two weeks ago, whenever it was, that uh, they had maybe set aside their own uh, – they had set aside a, a, a separate program for McGrath and uh, Seb Salazar during the tournament, and maybe that should have been folded into the main ESPN program. Well, as the final approached, and then after the final, they made sure they had a segment with with Salazar and uh, and McGrath and Fowdy. So uh, that was actually a good change. They built it into the into the larger program, which which was. Uh, uh, largely about um, transfers, Frank Lampard and and, and Messi, a lot of Messi, <laughs> the last uh, the last few days on that program. But so they they did then fold it into the mainstream program while keeping the other program, which uh, as I said was um, was much more tactical and analytical in its uh, in its analysis and a lot more also uh, FIFA issues. Hey. Uh, the women from around the world have these uh, these issues with FIFA. They were all over uh, Megan Rapinoe's comments prior to the match about FIFA, which uh, is something Fox seemingly avoided, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, I mean, I, Fox is in a tough position on, on uh, FIFA-specific issues. I just thought because they had embraced talking about Ada Hedenberg at the beginning of the tournament um, – and and her absence for Norway, that maybe they were going to go the whole tournament talking about that stuff. Uh, Grant Wall, uh, you know, came in to talk about that. Uh, It seems like his role... Disappeared as the tournament went on uh, because uh, uh, well, I, th- I think he didn't want any critical reporting. Well, on
0: no, I, th- I think he had a death in the family. So oh, okay. So, was, so yeah. he yeah. So I think for the last couple of weeks he wasn't uh, around. Oh, geez, which I is understandable.
1: It, but yeah.
0: But, but the one thing though too, Karthik, about this uh, one more thing about the Fox thing before we we move on slightly is uh, you might have missed this too, but the halftime coverage of uh, the Women's World Cup final, they had a movie trailer. So, I mean, Fox knows that tuning in at halftime, was probably at least 10 million people watching it at that very yeah. moment. And they said, okay, coming up at halftime, we've got a movie trailer to show you from Disney that's uh, Mulan and et cetera, et cetera. Which is interesting, too, because Mulan – well, Disney um, – does not own Fox Sports when when uh, Dis- Disney acquired 20th, 20th, 21st century Fox actually that's for a lot of the movie the yes, properties smart. and stuff like that. It does not include Fox Sports. So I wonder if there was a you mean, a financial deal done there or if it was a hey uh, you, you guys bought twenty first century Fox uh, can we do a deal here kind of you mean you mean is, is there a way to work together here to you mean as a thank you something I don't know that, that was weird too. Um, and yes, it didn't take up a lot of the time, but it was you know, less time focused on analysis, which we didn't get anyway, really. But um, it is what it is. The interesting thing for me, too, is, okay, so you take that audience, that, that large audience that watched the Women's World Cup. Where does that audience go to now? I mean, will they come back and, and start watching Major League Soccer games? Will they start watching NWSL games? Will they start watching Premier League games? Or does that audience disappear? And as we've seen, Kartik, as you know, too, from major World Cups in the past, there is, there is that audience. The, the increase I- does increase. There is an increase, sizable increase where that audience then goes. The big question is where is, where does that audience gravitate to now?
1: Yeah. Uh, NWSL obviously now will have, uh, as John, our friend Jonathan Tannenwald first reported, uh, a number of games on ESPN networks, whether it's on ESPN news or ESPN two, uh, for the remainder of the season, I believe it's 11 matches or 12 matches, including semifinals and finals. Uh, the, uh, one unfortunate thing about that is it is just a contract for the rest of the season. And what we saw, uh, in 2011, when the U S did not win the world cup, but they got to the finals, um, and lost to Japan in, in penalty kicks was that it didn't give the kind of bump for, um, WPS, the league at the time that that we quite thought it would twenty fifteen and, and that league went out of business twenty fifteen, NWSL got uh, the Orlando City MLS owners uh, interested in. The league, and they ha- they were an expansion team the next year. However, it didn't do anything else in terms of expansion, and we have seen several existing teams since then uh, struggle. In the case of the Boston Breakers, a long term team going all the way back to uh, WUSA in the early two thousands, and a team that so many of the great American players have played for, they went out of business. So um, after the twenty seventeen season, I don't know if NWSL gets this bump, and there seems to be um, And and this is something that, again, maybe it's all speculative, Chris, because uh, there's all the theories from the from the likes of Julie Fowdy, who I think know the game as well as anyone um, that U.S. players need to be playing in the Champions League. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the continent. And and, uh, Kate McGrath has kind of echoed that. However, and I've said it for a while, too. However, the U.S. keeps winning these tournaments with their entire team in NWSL. And you've had players like Crystal Dunn and Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan go to Europe. uh, Kristen Press also went to Sweden for a season uh, and come back and play in NWSL and be just fine. Now, you could argue when you see that, which is, you know, some of the argument from the likes of Fouty, When you see the technical ability of the Dutch team and you see the all-around skill of the English team – That there is a development of of skills at an earlier age if you're playing in that level of competition versus the U.S. college system and then on to NWSL. I I do see that point, but at the same time, I've kind of echoed what the Foudis of the world have said that, you know, eventually we need um, our top players playing in the Champions League. That's the ultimate club women's football competition, just like it is in the men's, the men's level. However, it doesn't seem to be affecting our international performance mm-hmm. at all. Yep. Um, so the question remains, maybe NWSL is a really good league. Yes. Stylistically, it's different than the champions league. It's a much more open league. There are less, you don't see low blocks as much and teams bunker and defend, but the U S still were able to beat teams that did that to them in the world cup. Um now there are other people like my friend Neil Blackman who I co-host the Yankster Coming podcast who says that this the 6 months Carly Lloyd spent at Manchester City, the 6 months Alex Morgan spent at Leon, the year Crystal Dunn spent at Chelsea, even though it doesn't seem like a substantial amount of time, it was enough for them to understand how to tactically combat that. So you still need players going over even if they're not going to leave NWSL outright, going over on loans. So Um, But if they do, my point, I guess, is a roundabout way of saying there is a possibility NWSL will lose some of these players to Champions League clubs in Europe. And if that happens, then I don't think that it's going to have quite the knock-on effect that, that we hope. Now, maybe that means we get Champions League, UEFA Champions League, women's football, uh, a TV deal in the U.S. Maybe the WSL will get a TV deal in the U.S. Uh, maybe that's what ends up happening. Just like we see a lot of fandom after Men's World Cup switch to the Premier League or switch to La Liga, maybe there'll be the same sort of effect if players leave NWSL. There's just still a lot of... Question marks, and uh, we'll have a better idea in about six months.
0: Yeah, and the Premier League is uh, in discussions with the WSL in England as far as in terms of trying to figure out how to work together. And there's been talk about possibly having double headers. Uh, there could be an opportunity for the Premier League to actually acquire the WSL and then have a, you know, a women's Premier League and then begin marketing that. Now, going back to the U.S., Karthik, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the question that I asked uh, our followers and listeners um, through Twitter, which is at World Soccer Talk. And the question is, do you believe uh, the U.S. women's national team's success in winning the, the Women's World Cup will achieve anything, or will it be the status quo from USSF and some in the way the women's game is run? What do you think?
1: Um, they will do some very cosmetic things. For the remainder of 2019, to try and alleviate the pressure that is building up from fans, from uh, poli- from elected officials, from media commentators, then they will revert to form by the middle of 2020, and the women's team will be somewhere in the uh, on the back burner, uh, as will, in many ways, the men's national team, except when the men's national team is a cash cow for soccer United marketing, which is connected to MLS. So. Um, I, I think that they will give some cosmetic lip service to get the pressure off their backs and hope in a year no one's paying attention. Mm-hmm. Now, there is still in this period of time an operations contract they're going to have to settle with NWSL. The this U.S. Soccer's contract to operate that league expires at the end of 2019. And it is possible someone else may come in and want to operate that league, which if, if that's the case, U.S. Soccer would say that's great. Um, however... Um, U.S. soccer still has to continue to subsidize the players' salaries for the top national team players who are in NWSL. Now, if they stop doing that, then this equal pay thing gets even more dramatic. Um, however, by doing that, they are arguing that they are, they are going above and beyond for the women's national team players subsidizing their club contra- uh, salaries. That, doesn't, that argument does not seem to be winning the day with critics. Mm-hmm. So um, they might be tempted to pull back from that. But at the same time, if they pull back from that, they're going to make things much worse for themselves. So I think they're going to try some cosmetic things, increase bonuses, etc. However, their position of um, now citing FIFA tournament data is very interesting, Chris, given that the US, the U.S. men's national team has virtually no impact on the FIFA revenues, none, uh, FIFA would be making as much money off men's tournaments if the U.S. disbanded their men's program tomorrow, it would have no impact because even those people who come back at me when I argue this and say, well, look at the television ratings in the U.S. Look at uh, the amount of ticket sales for, uh, of people from the U.S. for the men's tournaments. You know what that is? That's Mexican national team fans. That's fans of Central American countries. Mm-hmm. There are not many U.S. men's national team fans anymore that are watching on television. Well, in the U.S., and qualified for the last major FIFA tournament. So their revenue from that was zero. Zero dollars, zero euro, zero whatever denomination you want to use. Whereas my argument is even though we saw England get into this tournament and record TV numbers there, record TV numbers in France, record TV numbers in Italy, the Women's World Cup as a commercial property – may not even exist for FIFA to make whatever uh, smaller percentage of the men's uh, pie they make if not for the U.S. women and if not for the interest in the United States. So if that's generating $500 million in revenue, I'd say like $350 million of that is due directly to the U.S. women's national team. The Men's World Cup is supposedly generating $4 billion in revenue, zero. Of That is due to the U.S. men. Yet U.S. soccer now wants to turn around and make the argument that because that's four billion in revenue and this is 500 million, uh, that's why the bonuses are structured the way they are.
0: Now, the timing of this is um, ideal in some ways for, for, for change to happen. I, 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 <coughs> I agree with you, Kartik. I think uh, hardly anything will change. Uh, USF will try the cosmetic approach and try to basically figure out a way to get through the, the rest of this year and, um, and then hope that everyone forgets about, about it and moves on to another topic. Um, but the thing is, is that the timing of this is interesting because we have the, 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 the new TV deal coming up soon which, uh, as a lot of our listeners know, the TV deal in the United States is is packaged by some, Soccer United Marketing. And that, pa- that TV deal, where they shop it around to you know, ESPN, Univision, Fox, uh, and anyone else who's interested, that TV deal, the way it works is it's, it's a collective. It's, it's, you have the U.S. men's national team games in there. You have the U.S. women's national team games in there. And you have MLS games in there. So if you're a Fox or Univision or whoever and you want to buy the rights to uh, U.S. women's national team games because, you mean, everyone's sky high on the U.S. women's national team uh, right now and have been for a long time, well, you have to also then get the U.S. men's team and, and Major League Soccer with that. What's missing in this whole equation is the NWSL, which is the Women's League. So the Women's League gets left out of all of these uh, negotiations and contracts, and and there's no involvement at all. So you have the U.S. women's national team who makes announcement. well, U.S. US soccer this week makes an announcement that says, we're going to have a victory tour, which is great. I mean, having a victory tour, I think four to five games around the United States that are happening – and uh, the U.S. women will be p- playing friendlies against, you know, Ireland and Los Angeles and other teams around the country. All that money is going straight into the pockets of, I mean, in- into the pockets of some in the United uh, U.S. Soccer Federation. That money doesn't trickle down to the NWSL. So, so I guess where we're heading, Kartik, is that with the next TV deal, it's it's probably very likely it's going to be the same type of deal. Some's going to go ahead and, and broker the deal with the U.S. Uh, men's national team and Major League Soccer and then the U.S. Women's National Team uh, combined into there. Is there any benefit at this stage with the growth of the U.S. Women's National Team and the amount of revenue that they generate and the amount of interest that they generate? Is breaking that off and and figuring out a way, okay, what if we actually split it and had the U.S. Women's National Team coupled with NWSL and had a separate TV deal for that and then a separate TV deal for U.S. Men's National Team? And then a separate TV deal for Major League Soccer. Are there any benefits to that to to the, the women's game? And are there any benefits of that to just uh, it, general business?
1: I believe so. I mean, I believe the U.S. women, and they've articulated it, some of them have a major grievance against Soccer United Marketing, that the, the money they're earning... Um, the interest they've generated does not only not go back to their to, to them for equal play, it doesn't go back into the women's game at all. Doesn't even go into the US men's national team. It doesn't go back into the Federation. It goes into major league soccer. I think this is a very valid point. Uh delinking would be um, important. Now now if you delink, I think it would be nice to see if N W S L could be thrown into the same media deal as um, as the U.S. women's national team because that would give a carrot and an incentive to um – to watch and, uh, and and for broadcasters to present NWSL. This is the same thing they did with the U.S. men's national team, rights at a time, for those who are newer to the sport, between 2002 and 2010, when there was very little interest in Major League Soccer, and the U.S. men's national team was getting better TV ratings than they are now. And there was more interest in that team coming off of the 2002 World Cup, where they made the quarterfinals. And quite frankly, the 2006 World Cup didn't go so well for the U.S., but that was... Kind of a blip in, in what was generally a good era for the U.S. Right, uh, they were they, they won the hex uh, uh, record point total of twenty two points uh, in two thousand five. Uh, the two thousand ten qualifying cycle, they won the hex uh, again. There was no there was no question of qualifying for these World Cups. They 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 won. finished ahead of Mexico, and all all this qualifying got to the finals of the Confederations Cup in two thousand nine. Beat Spain, uh, who became the world champions a year later in that tournament. So there was a uh, an era where the MLS profited off of the success of the U.S. men. You could argue now it, it, it would be different. Uh, although I, I still think the U.S. men are a lot of residual money for all of that time, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, I think the linking would be good. But then keeping NWSL packaged with the U.S. women would be would be uh, nice. And then in, t- in terms of the MLS U.S. men split, if you continue to link those packages, I would like to see some sort of. Understanding that between 2002 and 2010, or actually I would go 2002 all the way to 2014, uh, the U.S. men were carrying and were carrying MLS and MLS on the open market may not have been able to get their own television package. This is a point I always made when I worked with the NASL and worked with the four large strikers that uh, MLS. You know, people would say, "Well, why can't you NASL get a better TV deal than BN or or CBS or uh, One World Sports? We were on for a while." 11 sports we were on for a little bit. Well, because we don't have the advantage of linking our package with the U.S. men's national team. Don't think the broadcasters are paying for or jumping on because they want to show MLS. They were jumping on because they wanted the U.S. men's and women's national team rights. That was the reality. Yeah. So uh, I think there's a lot of dishonesty in, in all of this. And when U.S. soccer goes to a fallback position, Chris, where they're trying to to push back against equal pay or any sort of uh, arguments made by critics by citing revenue numbers. Their revenue numbers in itself are dishonest. So, and there were there were members of the media who just dropped the argument there. I'm glad the Wall Street Journal went a step beyond and kind of flushed this thing flushed this thing out and saw the women were generating more revenue, which was something, by the way, many of us, you know, I'll mention some folks on Twitter: soccer heretic, uh, Chris Kessel, who's a great leader in in uh, in this U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, If things had been a little different, he might be the vice president of the U.S. Soccer Federation. A number of us pointed out, look, they're they're telling us there's more revenue from the men's side. There's more interest. But following the game and the Federation as closely as we, we, we do, we're thinking since 2015 or 2016, it hasn't been the case. The women have generated more revenue. They've generated similar TV numbers. We just don't have the empirical evidence. Well, thankfully, there was a newspaper that was enterprising enough to keep going uh, and dig through the lack of transparency from U.S. soccer. Yeah. And 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 you know, there is public records. There are, there are uh, a nonprofit, so you know, using that also, and found that the revenue was you know fairly equal, but slightly higher for the U.S. women. So, if anything, there should be a 50-50 split. Um not well, well, the current uh, one hundred to thirty eight ratio, which is what we have.
0: And and that's the thing too with the SUM T V deal that was uh done several years ago and will be uh being negotiated soon for the uh the next round of rights, which I think expire I think twenty twenty two I believe, or twenty twenty two twenty one. Um yep. that is a black box. There's no transparency there. We don't know all of that revenue that uh, comes in I mean i that, that some some pays uh, or someone some receives for these rights, how much of that split is for for uh, the women's game, men's game, and then the MLS, and then in terms of where that revenue, where that goes? Well,
1: we kind of now know how much goes to the federation, because um, due to the lawsuit that uh, Relevant Sports has filed over the uh, denial of, an, of the Ecuadorian League game, and of course we've talked about that on a previous podcast, right. we see how much money some has given to, based on the evidence in their initial filing, some has given to the U.S. Soccer Federation. And from my vantage point, again, you could argue anything. You could argue the entire value of the package is MLS. No one would care about the national teams if not for MLS. I think that that's a ridiculous argument. There are probably MLS fans who argue that. Uh, But based on that relevant case and the way I... Historically, have looked at this thing: U- U.S. soccer, and that means both the men's and women's national team are being shortchanged money by Soccer United Marketing, thirty million a year. When you consider the Fox, ESPN uh, combined English language package, and then the Univision um, Spanish language package, uh, a, a, all those two packages are general uh, over the what would have been an eight-year contract or about 650 to 700 million so if you're saying 30 million a year over eight years that's 240 million that means only about a third of that money is going back to the federation which also means two-thirds of it is staying in mls now what the split is between the men and the women once it gets to the federation we don't know i wouldn't be shocked if the men are taking the vast majority of that that's that seems to be par for the course here yeah. but regardless of that it's seems like mls is the great uh profiteer off of all of this well this yeah. entire thing they're making more money than anyone yeah and uh the women's national team uh, the men's national team is getting screwed and the women's national team is really getting screwed
0: absolutely and, and that's the thing too, again for some listeners who may not know is soccer united marketing is the marketing arm of major league soccer and it's it's a marketing company marketing company that partners with ussf and is out there, and actually, even with the, the Mexican national team too. Correct. So we, yeah. go, we go back to what you said earlier, much earlier, about in terms of ten, attendances and how the, you mean the revenues coming in for soccer in the, in the United States. A lot of that is from Mexican fans for Mexican friendlies uh, or, or competitive competitive games. But Soccer United Marketing represents the Mexican Federation as well as the United States Federation, and of course, Major League Soccer but does not represent NWSL, which is the redheaded stepchild, really, in all of this, which has been left out. And um, that future of that league has been, on, has been, on, I mean, it's been on, on the chopping block for a long time. Hopefully, with this U.S. women's national team winning the World Cup, that will help that league in
1: some it- way. In fairness, I'll present quickly the other side of the argument, which is that NWSL and leaders in women's soccer have um, have a um, – many of them have a an objection to Soccer United Marketing and some for all the reasons I've articulated. So they've gone it alone and developed their own media operation with, with the help of A&E who are no longer partners in the league, et cetera. And by doing that, the pro-sum, the pro-MLS person would argue they have shortchanged their own value in the market – if they were willing to work with us, then we could increase that value. Now, the reason a lot around the women, a lot of people around the women's game won't work with some is one: um, the previous league WPS was marketed by some, and uh, the league didn't survive, and there were all kinds of questions about about how that was handled. And two, I think they see this situation with the women's national team and money being lobbed off and put in MLS, and they they rather be sure they can keep whatever money they uh, revenue they generate in the women's game. Now it is possible uh, you could argue the the MLS proponent would argue that uh, they would generate that much more revenue because of Soccer United Markets' prowess and these relationships with Mexico and all these sponsors and and, and etc. that they would uh, that even if some of the money was going into MLS they would still keep more money in the women's game. Who knows? I tend to think that um, women's soccer has been smart to try and not work with some given all the realities but there were people who would argue the opposite that their, their financial problems their revenue problems are down to not working with some that's what uh, some MLS proponents would argue
0: yeah, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. All right, Karthik, let's move on to um, right. the uh, Men's Gold Cup final, uh, U.S. against Mexico. And uh, this one, this one, just, just my two cents on this one, too, is that um, John Strong and, and Stu Holden, you know, fine on the commentary, they've worked together for a long time, no, no problems there. Um, the Fox Soccer Tonight, I think it is, or whatever the, the name of that late-night program is. The, the one thing from this is, 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 to me at least, is that, I mean, Landon Donovan's still still got it. He's still got some great uh, analysis and comments to give and, and to share. And um, he's uh, definitely missed from um, the World Cup coverage. Because if you remember, for the 2018 World Cup, he was on the list of one of the, the, the co-commentators. He was going to be yeah. probably the main co-commentator or one of the, the, the biggest ones there. Um and he dropped out, and, and then you mean the rest is history. But um, other, the one thing I have to say though is is that he looks really bad on camera. You mean he looks scruffy? It looks like he was out all night partying. You mean just like he did not look very presentable. But in terms of what he was offering, in terms of his analysis, that was that was good. Um, the rest of the crew, well, actually, the rest of the crew. Let me just, let me just add, add one more thing. The rest of the crew were okay. Um, the one thing that came out of this, and I, and I missed this, but uh, some of the, uh, our listeners on Twitter uh, messaged us with this message, is that um, post-match, after the U.S.-Mexico game, uh, Fernando Fiore, uh, who in this tournament in Fox Soccer Tonight, was taking more of the soccer expert stance um, rather than to appear like a clown. Which, which I prefer. He has a lot of soccer knowledge, soccer knowledge, and he can add a lot to the conversations. But post match, he was the only one that was critical of this U.S. team. Everyone else was kind of like, ah, you know, Mexico was great and U.S. was un- underwhelming. But Fernando Fiore was really the only one that came came down hard and said, "Okay, I was really disappointed with the way that the U.S. played in this game." How about you, Cartier? Did you catch any of the uh, the analysis, or did you, did you watch it on um, on Univision?
1: I watched it on Univision, so um okay. I didn't catch any of this and uh so Univision's broadcast was fine. I think um the problem with watching Univision is they're very pro Mexico. Uh, even with Cello on there. Um the um you know, my, my two cents is that it, I think the U.S. is, the U.S. men's national team fan is, is, is impossible to, uh, uh, to deal, to, to, de- to deal with and communicate with and ration- rationalize with. So I was actually having a conversation with former co host of the show, uh, Matt Lickens- Lickstatter, uh, the other day about this. And, and he and I were good, we'll be on the, uh, Yanks are Coming podcast, a little shameless plug, uh, later this week to discuss this. But the U.S. men's national team fan seems to be so scarred by, by um, by not qualifying for the last World Cup, that they, you know, they're, they're they're one extreme or the other. The team is is really good, and got uh, it was because of Bruce Arena, and we have all the Pulisic and all these great players, McKinney, Adams. Uh, we should be we we be able to compete with France, Germany, and Spain one day, and then the next day it's like ah, you know, the coaching is terrible, and uh, we're awful, and there's no in between, there's no rational discussion, there's no understanding of um, a long term, especially having not qualified for the world cup long-term goals i actually think the u.s played better in this match now uh in, let me backtrack i haven't watched any of the World cup prior to this just highlights so it was exclusively finished uh focused on the women's world cup as we've de- discussed on previous shows um the men i thought played much better especially in the first half than they generally do against mexico even when they beat in mexico and what i attribute that to is burhalter having a clear style a clear tactical setup a clear identity he's trying to impart in this in this side which is very Different than the other coaches. I think Bob Bradley was a good coach, but he was also a pragmatic manager that set up differently in each match based on opposition. I think Klinsman just had no clue about tactics, and I think Arena also had no clue about tactics, but was a, a man manager, you know, motivator type. Um, Berhalter b- seems to be the opposite. He has a lot of, I mean, this crew, the crew played the same way. They would play the same way in every game. When I went back and watched film of them after Burhalter got the job. There's a style he's trying to impart. The problem is, Chris, the U.S. isn't good enough to play that style, right? They don't have the the players in midfield and out in wide areas that can play that ball possession style. What Berhalter did with the crew was sign a ton of foreign players that, um, you know, the, the Federico Iguain's and the uh, Ola Camaras and the Justin Mirams, etc. Uh, uh, Jonathan Mensahs, that, that allowed him to play that style and play it well with Columbus. There were Americans in that team, don't get me wrong, but they were, you know, supplementary parts in a lot of cases, with the exception of really Will Trapp. Um, so, what I think uh, we see is a clear tactical stylistic setup, but a U.S., uh, a set of American players not good enough to implement it. And once you have to go to your bench and make substitutions, once Tata Martinez you know, made a tactical change. Um, the U.S. is unable to counter it. There are people saying, well, it's because Burr is a, a terrible manager. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's because the U.S. just don't have good players. Um, and two of the players he would have relied on, Dwayne Holmes from Darby, Tyler Adams from Light. My- Sig got hurt right before the tournament so um i'm actually cutting the u.s men a lot more slack uh and the coach a lot more slack than people might expect given my record of criticism of the u.s men but i thought it was a pretty acceptable performance i don't think that anyone in their right mind would have thought the u.s should have beaten mexico again unless they're being delusional and um they got beat they got beat by a better team but they tried to play for- football, which is something that the U.S. doesn't normally do against Mexico, even when they were beating Mexico. They rely on set pieces and counterattacks. So my question, Chris, is did Fox note this or um, Landon Donovan played in many of those games where the U.S. would just sit up, set up deep, and he would score a goal on a attack? Uh, but they would look very cynical in the process and winning 2-0. Was this talked about on Fox or did they just not, did they uh, take this game in a vacuum?
0: I missed it. I I, I don't know. So uh, it, it's probably in a vacuum, and probably Fernando Fiore was probably one of the few people that, that kind of made some pointed remarks as well as maybe Landon. But but the issue is, too, is you've got do, Landon Donovan, um, and Kobe Jones, who are all former U.S. men's national team players who have really close relationships with a lot of um, still the, the players on the team, uh, probably uh, know Greg Berhalter pretty well, but, you know, probably calling each other on the phone and having a really... Old boys, all school boys, kind of club in terms of that. So they're not also able.
1: share agents, share sponsors, yeah. et cetera.
0: Right, right, exactly. Team was or, or, or was or whatever it may be. But yeah, so so that's that's lacking. I mean, big time as far as having some somebody like a. I mean, an American equivalent of a Roy Keane who says, okay, he just calls it the way he, he sees it and says, okay, this this is actually in that first half was a very spirited, very. Uh, energetic performance from the US men's national team. In the second half it was it was it was pretty pathetic I thought, personally Karthik. I, I timed it. There was a a spell in that game, I don't know if it was like from the sixty fifth minute onwards or around about then where there was eight minutes where the U.S. could not make two passes, two consecutive passes. It was yep. one pass, miss, lose a ball, it kept on losing possession, and I'm like, this. Even the basics, even the basics of I mean, keeping ball possession, they, they could not do. And, and Mexico was running rings around them. Mexico was missing a lot of their star players: Chucky Lozano, Carlos Villa, Hector Herrera, Chicharito, et etc. So this wasn't even a full strength Mexican side. I will agree with you, Kartik, in terms of. The depth of this squad is lacking in terms of quality levels. But my question to you is: Has well, is Berhalter doing the same things with his team that Klinsman did, looking overseas, looking for players that maybe have connections to, I you mean, know, American grandfathers or things like that, to try to figure out a way to just really strengthen the squad because it, it needs strengthening. Maybe in four four to eight years, this team will actually be really good in terms of these younger players. But right now, it's it's an uphill maybe. battle. Right, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe, I, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if he's looking overseas the way Klinsman. Well, I, 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 let's. I, I need to give we you and I both need to give Thomas Rongen credit for that. It was Rongen's right. initiative. Uh, under the direction of Bob Bradley, and then Bradley gets fired uh, after Rangan begins scouting, and then um, Th- Thomas will tell you personally that that um, Klinsman took a lot of credit for, for, for Rangan's work, for his own work, Thomas's work, which was initiated by Bradley, mm-hmm. um, who obviously Thomas you know had, had coached with and, and knew pretty well. Um, but uh, is Burhalter doing that? Well, Tyler Boyd certainly fits that description of a guy guy that was playing in Europe that uh, most American fans had never heard of before I mean I admit I had seen him on vaguely in some match reports others oh, this guy who might who's eligible to play for the U.S. but has been capped by New Zealand playing in Portugal okay well that's nice but it turns out Verhalter somehow convinced him I think convinced him by telling him he would call him up for the gold cup which he did right yeah because uh, <laughs> he played in the gold cup without ever having been capped before without anyone ever having seen him unless you're a fan of uh Portuguese lower division soccer, or or I guess he played in Turkey this past year in the first division on loan. Um, But his his contract with Guimaraes, and then uh, Dwayne Holmes, who's a player uh, you know raised in England, a player I've tracked. For a number of years, because I follow lower division American, uh, lower division English uh, championship in League One football, uh, a guy that I knew was eligible to play for the U.S., but that I uh, never, quite frankly, thought would get called into the U.S. team. Berhalter calls him in, um, is impressed by him, uh, you know, and selects him for the Gold Cup. But he gets injured, so I think he may not be going the direct German American route of Klinsmann, but it seems he's going to Europe. And I, and the key thing here. Uh, Chris, for our listeners to realize is it's because of style. Verhalter, um, now you could argue, I've just given you a a great defense of him a a minute ago, you could argue maybe he we need a more pragmatic manager because we don't have good players, right? Um, we don't have guys who can trap the ball and, and string right. together two passes consistently and, and guys who can play the possession-based football that Verhalter clearly wants to play. Uh, possession-based attacking football that's based around um, really good wide play and, 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 a, and an influential central midfield player. Um, maybe we just don't have the players to do that. Uh, he doesn't seem to be willing to change his style uh, in, in order to accommodate. The the real lack of talent he has. Uh, So you have guys who just aren't capable of playing that kind of high tempo, high pressing passing style, which uh, has a lot of the elements of Dutch football because Berhalter spent most of his career. I don't know if our listeners realize this. uh, Yes, he finished his career in MLS, but he spent the vast majority of his career career. In Holland, uh, played a few years in England, uh, was in the Premier League for a season or two, uh, and played a few years in Germany. But um, really, has a lot of Dutch influence in his thinking, and you realize that when you see interviews with him. Um, so, um, you know, playing that kind of Dutch style, the U.S. just doesn't have the players. And and I think your point is very well taken. After about minute sixty-five, when he's having to sub guys out and players are tired and. The U.S.'s superiority in the first half is not rewarded with a goal, even against the Mexican side, missing a lot of players. They still had Guardado. They still had um, uh, Jimenez, who had Mm -hmm. a great season this past year at Wolves. Um, They just weren't able to handle it. I mean, they just weren't good enough. Yeah.
0: All right. And then before we move on, Conte, my match of the week this past week, uh, just real quickly, was... Africa Cup of Nations, I watched uh, Nigeria against Cameroon. Um, just a back-and-forth game, goals galore. Really enjoyed watching this one and watched this one on In Sports. Uh, a, a lot of former Premier League stars on display as well as some up-and-coming talent that could be moving to the European leagues in the near future. It was interesting, though, watching this game and actually at halftime and, and, and before and after is that BN Sports now has basically a new tagline. So, And they mentioned this on air, I think it was Jeremy St-Louis mentioned it on air too, but in, even in the promos before and after the games, uh, they're, they're now describing themselves as the world's largest sports network. So while that is true, being sports is is probably, most probably, most definitely the world's largest sports network, that, that, that doesn't, that's not much of a selling point though. That's like saying that Walmart, having a big sign outside the Walmart store saying that this is the world's largest uh, department uh, uh, chain. That does not... I mean, it doesn't doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make there's no benefits to me. Um, so it looks like it's kind of being sports saying okay hey, let's come up with this tagline, and let, let's focus on that. And maybe maybe that'll impress the DirecTV or the or the Comcast people where they go like oh wow, I didn't realize they're the world's largest sports network. Maybe I should have them on on my programming, which is not happening anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was really a little bit surreal there. And right, Kante, let's move on to our TV streaming
1: news Yeah, some big news we reported earlier this week at World Soccer Talk. NBC has made big, has made big changes to NBC Sports Gold uh, their Premier League packages. It's packages plural now. And in summary, they've got a lower and Cheaper package now that will be only $39.99 for the season. However, you can only stream matches on that, and you have to stream them live real in, in real time, right? Um, there's no on-demand feature. There's no bumper programming. The uh, And that's just called NBC Sports uh, Premier League Pass. The NBC Sports Gold Premier League uh, package that we've been um, – which is also called Premier League Pass, which we've been accustomed to the last – Two seasons, costing fifty dollars or forty nine ninety nine, now has been bumped up to sixty four ninety nine, and we will have all that bumper programming in addition to on demand <coughs> watching the match. So basically, Chris, um, NBC Sports has increased the price of the actual package that I think most people are going to want. If you get the the cheaper package, you can only watch the games uh, between, and those matches are all basically ten a.m. Eastern time kickoffs uh at that time while they have other matches airing on um on their networks.
0: Yeah, this this is um it's a huge mess. I mean even down to the the naming conventions that they're using so um so just to clarify that that the the cheaper version which is the $30 one uh a year is uh Premier League match day pass and well, actually I, I, pass. I, that's $40 a season I'm sorry. Uh, and that, like you said too, that's uh, only live games that are on. That there, there are non televised live games, and then, and then it, it it's 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 a mess. It's a it's a huge mess. At the end of the day, for me personally, this doesn't satisfy anyone. So if somebody wants to say, hey, I, w- I want to cut the cord, I want to watch all the Premier League matches, and I want I want to watch them live, and I want uh, I want to watch them on demand, this does not provide that. Uh, on the opposite side, if you're a TV subscriber. You subscribe to NBCSN either through your Comcast or your satellite company and you're like, I want to watch all the games. I want to have access to all the games. Well, You're going to get the ones on television uh, and then if you want to get the streaming ones, you have to pay extra on top of what you're already paying your cable or satellite provider. Um, It's just just a mess. It it seems to be a really misguided attempt by NBC Sports to try to figure out a way to compromise because they're a TV network. They are owned by Comcast. They want to make sure that that uh, TV subscriptions stay the same. They don't want people leaving in droves to go ahead and uh, go cold-cutting, even though that's happening already. So they're trying to figure out a way in the middle to go ahead and provide these uh, these games. Um, The big change for 2019 to the 2020 season is that they have a... um, a restriction on on in terms of like for example, if you um, want to subscribe and, and uh, watch the games that were uh, through through this NBC Sports Goal Premier League Pass, the games that were on television, but you want to watch them later in, in the day through this Premier League Pass, uh, you have to wait until nine p.m. on that match day to be able to to access those. So that which which is which is absolutely insane because if you're a Premier League soccer fan or fan of a Premier League club. And maybe on a Saturday morning, you're going to AYSO or you're, you are slept in late, whatever, you miss your game, you have to wait until 9 o'clock that night to go ahead and actually be able to watch that game. And by that point, it's it's essentially, the game's over. It's meaningless. You know what the score is. You've seen the highlights package. You, you've seen everything you want to see. But uh, anyway, we, we go into a lot more detail on this one um, at worldsoccertalk.com. That goes into a lot of detail, a lot more analysis about each of these different packages, what they offer... Uh, pros and cons of each, and uh, so certainly uh, check that out. Now, now Karthik, one, one thing real fast, too, is that um, my solution would be for this, would be to go ahead and figure out a way, whether NBC would be up up for this or not, is put together a package like DAZN is doing in Canada. So for the 2019-2020 season that starts in August, just in less than 30 days, Dazone is the exclusive provider of the Premier League in Canada. And what they're offering is for $15 US dollars a month, if you're in Canada, 15 US dollars, uh, you will have access to every single Premier League match, uh, both live and on demand. And that's $15 per month. Uh, and uh, oh, you can sign up for the entire season. I think it's like, I don't know, $150 or something like that. And And once you figure out... The, the cost of that yes, it's a lot more expensive than Premier League Pass, but I would much prefer prefer to go to that model to me that the issues I have of, with NBC Sports Gold and the Premier League Pass have nothing to do with with the the, the dollar amount that the price of that it's what they're offering, which is a really crippled, handicapped kind of uh, streaming package that does not provide you what, what, what you get. And, that, and that's the thing, too. I think when we look at ESPN+, Plus, we look at the, the price point that they offer, four ninety nine 99 a month, and, and all the content that they provide. But um, if you multiply that out by 12, I mean, you're paying um, just about the same amount that you'd be paying for the Premier League Pass. The Premier League Pass feels like it's more expensive because you have to pay that lump sum up, up front. But uh, to me, pr- personally, I would prefer to have a disowned model where I'm willing to pay extra, to have access to every single game. And for those people who, who want to watch the games on television, they can continue, continue to do so. And if you want to subscribe to a streaming service that has everything on demand and live, I, I would personally, I would go to that and, and pay whatever that amount of money is and, and uh, NBC would be making, short, I'm sure, tons of money that way rather than a compromised uh, NBC Sports Gold where it makes no one happy. All right, Kartik. let's move on to the next news item, and that is that ESPN and Univision have acquired the U.S. rights to the inaugural Leagues Cup. Coverage will be across ESPN and ESPN Plus in in the English language, as well as across the Univision networks in Spanish language. Um, So the Leagues Cup is a new tournament that's been set up. It's going to start uh, this summer uh, featuring some of the best teams from League MX and some of the teams from Major League Soccer in in a competition. Um, ESPN Plus will stream three quarterfinal matches, and ESPN will televise one match in the quarterfinal rounds. ESPN 2 will televise the two semifinal matches on Wednesday, August 20th, and in the final on September 18th. Hi right, Kartik, this is uh, some big news from ESPN.
1: Yeah, so ESPN... Uh, And uh, uh, and the NWSL have announced an agreement to televise 14 league matches. I think I said 13 earlier in the show. It's actually 14. During the 2019 season, eight matches will air on ESPN News, and the remaining six, including both semifinals and the championship, will air on ESPN2. By the way, NWSL has one-off semifinal matches, unlike MLS, or unlike what MLS has had in the past. So, um, the the higher seed hosts, and it's one match. So, uh, three postseason games total and WSL, they'll all be on ESPN too.
0: And last but not least, um, this is interesting. A source has told me that MLS are working hard on having all of the commentators in house under the next TV deal. So currently, if you're watching Major League Soccer games, I mean, whether it's through uh, ESPN, Fox, uh, Univision, uh, as well as ESPN Plus, I mean, those commentators are, um, are working for you know. Many, many different companies. But what MLS is looking to do um, for the next TV deal is have all of those commentators brought in-house. And what this model reminds me of a lot is um, how the Premier League does their broadcast, where they have a company, which is uh, IMG, and previously it was the TWI. But they have uh, all of those commentators commentating the games for the world feed based out, out of that operation, Now, what it provides or may provide Major League Soccer is if they go ahead and do this, is quality control. They can make sure that uh, all of the commentators that are working within MLS in-house are having the the highest level of quality across the entire league, uh, no matter what games uh, they're commentating on. It also gives them more control over messaging, over making sure that everyone's uh, speaking from the same hymn sheet uh, so to speak, and um, in some ways can uh, control you mean, who is going off off message and kind of rein them in a little bit. Uh, and the third of all, I'm sure there's got to be some cost cutting, some benefits from that too um, in, from the business point of view. And uh, what's your take kartik any uh, advantages or disadvantages you see here in terms of having major league Soc- soccer possibly uh, bringing in all of the commentators in-house?
1: Well, it's what the Premier League does, as you mentioned. It's what USL also does. Uh, and I, I guess there is quality control and consistency in broadcasts and quick consistency in presentation. There's also singing from uh, the same hymn sheet, which is propaganda, really. And um, cutting out any sort of dissenting opinions about the quality of, of, of play, quality of uh Pitches, quality of, uh, uh, of fans, uh, you know, if there is some issue with, uh, with fan behavior, it's not brought up, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, and, and as an example of that too, so speaking to a commentator off the record, well, actually, I mean, kind of a, one of my sources, uh, who worked uh, for the commentating on USL broadcasts for USL games is that um, they were told not to uh, mention that the USL is a developmental league, uh, that was frowned upon. That that was not. That was a, a, a phrase never to be used. And if they did use, uh, use it, they got, they got in trouble. And um, the other thing, too, that they weren't allowed to talk about uh, any other leagues. So they weren't allowed to even mention the words NASL. And and that's something, right. too. So from a an instance like this with Major League Soccer, this is an opportunity to really control what they're saying. And at the end of the day, to, to me, I mean, as a soccer fan, this is a huge disadvantage in terms of uh, potentially is that you take out the heart and soul of the, the commentator or, or the co-commentator. Those people, one of the main reasons we love those people, so whether it's a, I don't know, Gary Bertels or a uh, Stu Holden or Taylor Twelman or whoever whoever it is, is you get to know the character, you get to know the person, you get to know what they like and they, they don't like, and you have a connection with those people. But if you go ahead and sanitize it and, and kind of say, okay, here's the things you can't talk about, here's the things you have to mention, this is this is the way things work, and if you, you go off off message, you get a slap on the wrist, you mean two slaps on the wrist, you're out of there, type of thing. It, it takes away the heart and soul of the commentator and then the co-commentator, and that's one of the things I love about no matter who it is, I don't know Tony Jones or whoever it is from around the world, is that I feel I know that person, I I know that voice, I. If um, if we met in a pub or something like that, I could have a conversation with that person talking about you mean know, all the great matches that he or she commentated on and in uh, you mean know, certain things he or she likes and things like that. So that's that's my concern is that uh, this could be a disadvantage where it uh, sterilizes major league soccer games in the future, um, where it takes the heart and soul out of out of the league, out of the commentating, which which is I mean, I'm sure many of us uh, can. Uh, uh, that, that many of us like like in terms of, of that. All right, let's move on to TV ratings. Karthik, um we won't go into all of them. We do have all of them at willsoccertalk.com on the homepage. But the big ones. Let's, let's just go through the big ones. Really, it's uh, the Women's World Cup final it was uh, 15.87 million for the USA against Netherlands on Fox and Telemundo. Uh, this was a 43% drop from the last World Cup. And uh, the last Women's World Cup in 2015. Part of the reason is the time zone for sure. Uh, that's certainly one of the reasons. We had uh, just a message that just came in a minute ago from one of our listeners. And it was from Rob Flink. And he says, uh, you guys seem to attribute the lower low ratings to the different time zone for the World Cup. Do you think it has to do at all uh, to the political side uh, show stuff? or Political side show stuff. I agree with the women's team, but obviously not everyone else.
1: I, uh, yeah, that's a great point. I've actually thought that in the back of my mind. I, I've been s- echoing the same uh, same thing. Oh, it's because it, it's in the morning. It was at 11 a.m. Eastern time, 8 a.m. Pacific versus 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific uh, for the final in Canada. But at the same time, we deal with television ratings regularly in this sport and realize Premier League games that kick off around that time tend to get more viewers than MLS games that kick off later. Now, obviously, there's a difference in level of competition in the minds of most people, but still. Um, yeah, I had that in the back of my mind. I agree with the women's team. I, I identify myself with Megan Rapinoe's political uh, views and, and her statements, but I think that there were certainly some conservatives and Trump supporters who uh, were turned off the U.S. women's national team because of, of Rapinoe and Allie Krieger and others and didn't watch. I, I think that that's, you know, we, we would be uh, we're being dishonest if we don't uh, admit that I, we're being I, dishonest with ourselves well
0: I, 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 don't, I don't think it had an impact me personally I, I think it's one of those things that actually if anything it probably attracted more people to watch the games because uh, of, of all the outrage to, to tune in and see what would happen I mean does Megan Rapinoe you mean do some type of uh, goal celebration that, uh, I don't know, F.U. Trump or, or whatever it may yeah. be. But um, I, I think in terms of the, the time zone, it did have an impact. And I, and I think the reason why is that on a Sunday morning, 11, 11 o'clock uh, Eastern time kickoff, 8 a.m. Eastern time kickoff, a lot of people are in church, especially in the United States with, I mean, uh, you mean this, this country, there's a lot of church-going people. Uh, the timing of this game for the mainstream audience, for the hardcores, they would say, "Okay, okay, forget church this morning. I'm going to watch this game live."
1: It was a perfect time for the hardcores for us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yeah, for sure. But but for, but for the mainstream audience, I think this was not a uh, optimal time. Uh, the Gold Cup final had 8.7 million viewers for this one. Um, out of that, it was um, uh, 2.8 million people on on FS1 and 5.9 million people on Univision. And then, uh, last but not least, was the Copa America final uh, on Telemundo, and that one had 2.7 million people watching that one. So, some big numbers uh, altogether. Karthik, on Sunday, on Soccer Sunday, for the Women's World Cup final, the Gold Cup final, and the Copa America final, and the uh, MLS game between Atlanta and New York Red Bulls. Um, the collective viewing audience was 29.5 million people. So. So for all those wow. people who think that soccer uh, hasn't made it in the United States, yes, it took uh, well, four games to to get a huge number. But still, regardless, that is a massive number for uh, viewership on, on a Sunday for, for soccer. Moving on to Listener Mailbag, uh, JP says, I just saw the Univision owners are exploring a sale. What, if any, impact do you think that could have on their coverage in the in the future for soccer? Uh, They were the saving grace for the UEFA Champions League group stages and all of Europa League. And you guys speculate a possible destination for La Liga after 2020. Also, could new ownership start a process where Univision sees synergy with in both Florida-based in the U.S., and buys their properties and coverage the way NBC did with the struggling uh, versus almost a decade ago to create NBCSN when Comcast purchased them? So some good questions there. Uh, I, JP, I think it's more so in terms of Univision. They're a private company exploring a sale. Uh, I don't see many changes happening if, and when a sale happens, it might be whoever would acquire them would probably say, okay, let's just keep, keep things going as they are now. Maybe there there are some cost cutting measures that could be applied, but I don't see that changing their focus. Um, they're strong, especially in, in the soccer t- coverage side of things. I think, uh, I think up until the women's World Cup final uh, up until the women's World Cup for in two thousand nineteen they Univision had forty nine percent of all soccer coverage uh, viewership in the United States regardless of language so they're a huge player in, in the soccer circles and I, I don't see them changing that much and uh, your second question about uh, whether there's a synergy with being in sports and, and looking at their properties and coverage i I think honestly. And this goes for other soccer media companies too. Is that they're just counting down the days until the contracts that Bein Sports has expire, which is going to be a year from now. So next summer, we will already know who's going to be broadcasting La Liga, and uh, whether it's Univision picking up those rights um, without having to uh, buy Bein Sports or, or pay for you mean kind of a, a partnership or a merger of any kind. They can just wait for those, those rights to expire and at the same time then pick up those rights and then and probably be in sports eventually goes away and says, OK, we're, we're no longer interested in the, uh, the U.S. market now that we've lost La Liga rights. Similar to what happened with Fox Soccer Channel when they lost the rights to the Premier League. Uh, within a few months, that, that uh, channel was out of business. Next up is Gorilla Talk. Uh, we talked about a lot about VAR last episode, so he gets into the VAR stuff. Number one, VAR is getting more calls correct to the letter of the law while violating the spirit at times. The sacrifice for the letter of the law is the flow of the game. Until they restore the flow of the game, I'm against VAR. Number two, the goalkeeper coming off the line isn't caught nearly enough. The most recent obvious example uh, was in the Chattanooga versus Atlanta game last summer. It wasn't called in the second half when it should have been. It was called in the, in the penalty kicks, and the goalie was so pissed he couldn't focus.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I remember that. that yeah, that was. Um, I forget the name of the keeper, but he was a keeper we actually had in NASL, and uh, uh, Phil Diamico, That's who it was, Phil Diamico and he was uh, uh, complaining about the inconsistency of that call in that Silverbacks versus Chattanooga FC match, but. Um, yeah, a Gorilla Talk's absolutely right. I remember that incident well. And actually, my VFC ended up playing Atlanta in the next round, so I was watching that game closely.
0: John Average Geek says While Major League Soccer national TV ratings are poor, is it possible that it's easier for fans to watch an MLS game uh, or MLS team than an English fan to watch their team? So uh, the answer to that would be yes. I mean, if you're talking about an English fan who lives in England and a fan of a Premier League club, absolutely yes, because there's far less coverage of the Premier League in the United Kingdom. If you mean a, a fan of the English game in America, then uh, if it's on television, um, no. It, Major League Soccer is, well, yeah, it is harder. It is harder to follow Major League Soccer on television in the United States because on the national broadcast, those games are at sporadic times. It's not a consistent time uh, or day. I mean, you know roughly there'll be games on Saturday, maybe on the Spanish side. And on Sunday, it's been very uh, random in terms of uh, when the games are on FS1 or ESPN or ESPN2 and at what times. Uh, It's more consistent with uh, the Premier League. Adding the NBC Sports Gold uh, to the equation and looking at uh, ESPN Plus and then local coverage uh, for Major League Soccer games, depending on where you live and out-of-market games and things like that, both sides are complicated, uh, but from the television perspective, it's easier for a fan of the English Premier League in America to follow that league than it is to follow Major League Soccer on national television. Last but not least, uh, and this is what I mentioned way back when in in this podcast, MFT says, I watched the Gold Cup post-game uh, for the final, only Fernando Fiore was critical, not Landon Donovan, and... Uh, I guess uh, MFT says that – that Landon Donovan said that Berhalter needs time despite an 18-month search uh, Maybe a good topic. And a good topic indeed. We talked about that. So you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and our Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And, Karthik, uh, where can they find you on the Nick Gieber Show and, and also on Twitter?
1: Yeah, so the Nick Gieber Show or, or, uh, is on Sports Byline uh, and Sirius XM Channel 211, which is a Dan Patrick channel, and on American Forces Radio as well as on iHeartRadio Radio and uh, uh, SoundCloud. You can. It's 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific every night. Uh, it's called Fifth Street Sports. I co-host with Nick Gieber. Um, And you can find me at Twitter at KKFLA737.
0: All right. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. And Kartik going into another weekend, we've got Africa Cup of Nations uh, quarterfinals moving into the semi-final stages, and uh, some major league soccer games, and uh, I'm sure some other uh, a lot of friendlies coming up too. I know um, ESPN three has a bunch of friendlies um, from around the world. If you're interested in that, what should they do?
1: Enjoy your football.